0: Last week, we preached through the end of chapter 4 and through all of chapter 5 on what we titled Disappointment with God, Part 1. And so today is a continuation of that sermon into chapter 6. If you're new to this sermon series or maybe that you've forgotten... What we saw was at the end of chapter 4, um, God had sent Moses and Aaron to the people of Israel and had told them that God was going to deliver them from the slavery of the Egyptians. And the Bible tells us that the people of God then worshipped. They had been in bondage and slavery for 400 and something years. And now their God was going to deliver them. Moses and Aaron, in confidence in God, went to the throne room of Pharaoh and said to the people or said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh responds by acting like he doesn't know very much about this God and that he's not very concerned about this God because Pharaoh during this time as well believed in himself to be God. And so instead of giving them some freedom, Pharaoh actually makes their enslavement even worse, that they have to bake bricks, but they no longer are provided the straw. They must go out, gather the straw, bring it back to the mud pits or however they made these bricks. And mix it themselves. And the quota is to be the same. Well, the foreman for the Jews gets upset and goes to Pharaoh and pleads with Pharaoh to to relinquish all that is required of them in a single day. And instead of it being relinquished, the Bible tells us in chapter 5 that Pharaoh has the foreman and the people beaten. And so the foreman goes back to Moses and Aaron and curses uh, them because they have made the Israelites stink in front of Pharaoh. So Moses, instead of going back to Pharaoh in this Moses in this moment, he returns to the Lord. He returns, he goes back to God. We talked about how that within our lives there are moments of worship worship and yet simultaneously, moments later, professing out of the same mouth can be moments of frustration, anger, disappointment with God. And the the question then becomes, then who will we take those grievances to? What we're already enslaved to? Or will we take our disappointment with God himself to God? And that's the illustration and the encouragement and the hope is that that within our worship, as we've talked about, there must be margin, there must be space for you and I to be really upset, to be angry, to ask the questions, why, of God? If we aren't allowed to do that, then we've pretty much got to re- rip the book of Psalms out of the Scripture. We need to rip lamentations out of the Scripture. We need to rip just tons of passages Out of the scripture because of this understanding then of not being able to bring honest, gut-wrenching pain and sorrow to the Lord. And yet, what do we see in the scripture? This is exactly what we are invited to do. Well, this story continues as Moses keeps saying, why did you send me? Why are you causing these problems? It has gone from bad to worse. And we see inside of chapter 6 in this response that that God himself again speaks to the servant Moses. We see in the very beginning of chapter 6 as God responds to Moses that what does God do? God goes back to this burning bush moment where he delivers to his servant Moses who he is, what his name is, that his name is is Yahweh, that every time that you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D inside of your Bible, that, that that is attributed to the real full name of God. That he's not just this generic God that is out there, but this God has a name of which we pronounce it as Yahweh, which translates into being. I am be, or I will be what I will be. God is both in the present, in the past, and in the future. He is always being, and in his holiness, because none of us are like that, right? But in his holiness, because God is who he is, and we who we and we are who we are, then God can be sovereign. Have providence, have authority, controls the narrative, of what is taking place, because all of this is ultimately pointing to Him. So, in our text and context, Moses returns to God. What does God return back to Moses? I am God. Parents, have you ever seen your child doing something foolish? Yes. Right? Have you ever seen them hurt themselves? And, and when they've hurt themselves, you run to their aid to try to help them. And yet, what does that child often do? They stiff arm your help, right? You cut your, they cut their arm and they're like, don't touch it, right? And what do you say? you got to let me see it. Let me see it. Oh, mama, I got a boo-boo. All right? Now, husbands, if you go to your wife and you say you got a boo-boo, wives, set up an appointment with me and the pastors. We would love to talk to your husband further about using the term boo-boo. All right? But you get what I'm saying here is that someone is hurt, and you run to them as the parent. And, and what do you say? You, you, you say to them, but, but I'm, I'm your daddy. I'm not purposely going to try to hurt you worse. I'm your mama. It's, it's me, it's mommy. I, I've got to see it, we've got to get you some help. I've told the story before about Ava running into a perfectly mailbox and needing stitches, right? And as I was driving her to the hospital, she looked at me and she just said it with tears, just gut-wrenching, you hate me. If you loved me, you wouldn't take me to the emergency room. Really. As you can tell, I just keep on going. Right? And, and essentially, what's taking place here is that the people of God are hurt. And it's well, it, it, it's more substantial than a, a boo-boo, it's real hurt. And God reminds them in this moment, he reminds Moses, I am God. I am. I'm your father. You can trust me. From there, inside of this chapter six, uh, we see uh, essentially around seven promises in verse six um, that we have um, inside of this passage. Go for it. All right. We see these things. Maybe you can mark these later on this week or as I'm, I'm reading them to you right now. Inside of this conversation that God has with Moses is that he, he tells Moses and reminds him of promises. He tells them, I'm, I'm going to bring you out, Moses. He, he tells them, I, I'm going to deliver my people. He says, I will redeem you. I will adopt you. I will be your God. I will take you to a new home. I will give you a new home. So not only does God remind Moses and the people eventually of who he is, but he also reminds them and gives them hope and security in these promises. I mean, think about that list for just a moment. God promises to deliver you. God promises... To adopt you. God promises that of all the small gods throughout the world, through all existence, I will be your God and you will be my people. I'm gonna give you a new home. I'm gonna give you a new Land. And so what does God do? He, After making these promises, he sends Moses and says, all right, Moses, here's what I need you to do. Go back to the people and tell them, I am God, I am that I am, and also tell them these promises once again. And what does the Bible tell us in how they respond? They respond by not listening. They essentially said, I doubt it. The words that you hate to hear as a kid, when you ask your parents to do something, then they say, maybe. Because what do you all know as a kid? That's a no. No, we ain't doing that. All right? Or maybe if I put it off a little bit, you'll forget about that you've asked me to do that. Right? They respond by, I, I, I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. He's God. He makes promises. But as you know, Moses, this God doesn't deliver. We have heard this all before. You just told us the other day. The same stuff. Put your money where your mouth is. God. Why? The Bible tells us, and we'll go into some more of this in just a minute, because they have a broken spirit. And because of their... Harsh slavery. Now, I'm probably one of a few uh, rednecks who still watch um, mixed martial arts. All right, I started watching this in the early '90s um, at my cousin Eddie's house on a VHS. Horse Gracie, and uh, you know you've seen these two perfectly grown men getting into occasion, beating heck out of each other because they can do all things in Christ that gives them strength right <laughs> and in fighting though when you're sparring with someone or if you're in a real fight that's a legal fight inside of this cage one of the things that happens is all these chokeholds right all these submission holds And they inflict great pain on you. I've given some of them, and I have received some of them, and they are not fun. But when you're in this choking stage, one of the things that you do to end the fight is what's called a tap out. You tap the person before you fall asleep. And in their mercy and grace, they're to relinquish control of you. See, brothers and sisters, the the Israelites, the Jewish people, have been fighting for so long in their slavery. By the time that this moment comes to them once again, they're tapping out. We're done. Like we're exhausted from fighting. Literally, the term there for broken spirit that the Bible shows you in your scripture is, is the term for sh- the shortness of spirit or the shortness of breath. Have you ever been so filled with anxiety that you can't catch your breath? Have you ever been in a situation where, where life has been so consuming for you it's as though that you cannot take a breath? You're fighting for every one of their breaths. How many of us have ever been uh, crying so hard that uh, you had that moment that's the ugly cry? Right? You know, where you're gasping. I wish we could all imitate it in here. But you know what I'm talking about. That really... (laughs) thing that we all do. What is that? Like, why, God? We're already in a bad state, and if somebody sees us go... (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's like, just make us look even that much more foolish in our hurt than to act like a trout on a dock fighting for air. (laughs) And this is the state of the Israelites. Can you blame them? I don't care how bad your life is in here. None of you have been a slave to a king who believes he or she is God. And the Israelites have some justification for the way that they are feeling here, don't they? How does Moses respond? And he goes back to that burning bush moment. The same excuse. The same lack of confidence. But God, I can't speak well. Well. can't speak. It's believed that 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 Moses um, may have had a stuttering problem. It's some sort of just lack of confidence possibly. We, we don't know for sure none of us were there. But it it's some sort of issue. I mean, if you want to change the the framework, I mean people have speech impediments, they have all of these sorts of things and just Just for the sake of of illustration, uh, imagine Moses has this thing that breaks his confidence. And it happens when he speaks. This is what's taking place. Moses goes to God. God responds to Moses by telling him who he is. God responds to Moses by by that list, that seven promises that he laid before inside of this passage. Moses then, what does Moses do? He's a glutton for punishment. He goes back to the people and, and they don't want to hear it. So then Moses begins to say, God, just... Send someone else. They're much better orators than me. They're much better preachers and teachers and prophets. They're they're much better people. I mean, look, I mean, there there are people who don't even really follow you, but they have all this huge following. There are these people that can can speak these words, whether they're biblically based or not, and yet you and I could be. Move to, to tears and just the belief. I mean, politicians do this all the time. There are ones that are such great orators that tell us all of this sort of stuff. We have no idea how they're going to accomplish any of this, but just because of the timbre and the tone and the dynamics of their their ability to speak is that we can, we can hang on every word of their wooing power and speak. This is what's taking place inside of chapter 6. It's more disappointment with God. So many times in our lives, we are often the one that is hurting. Or we come in contact with someone who is really hurting. A lost one, an issue with a child, an untimely death, a murder, a crime of some sorts. I mean, even within the church gathering, right, is that things will happen to yourself or things will happen to your brother or sister and, 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 and they call you or they, they, they come to MC or whatever it is and they, they share some of this deep grieving within their hearts within their minds, within their bodies that they're so upset with God that they're so disappointed with God and, and I don't know about you but I've been in some serious situations like that where I, I've, I've been like, like I don't know what to say Now, in the South, usually we say this. I'm so sorry. Please let me know, right, if there is anything I or we can do. But if you ever been ministering to somebody, sharing with a friend, a colleague, a church member, or you've said those sorts of things because you don't know what to say and you responded with, just please, if there's anything that we can do. But you know what, so many times in our friends' lives and in our lives when we're in that dark night, that dark moment, even though, again, good pleasantries, right? There's so many times that that in our hurt and in our difficult situation that when we say things like if, the, if you need anything if there's anything I can do, that the response of, of others and, and ourselves is often like like I'm so broken, I'm so hurt inside of this very moment that I, I don't know how to respond to that. This is the Israelites. It can be tough to know what to do when people are really disappointed with God, when they're really angry, when they're really hurting, when they're just in a pain induced, almost coma of just numbness toward what is going on in their lives. And there appears to be no end in sight. You know, it could be really easy to, for us to think poorly of the dumb Israelites. However, if we are really honest, brothers and sisters in Christ, friends, we are, we are so much more like the Israelites in the way that they respond. And yet, if, if we really compare our lives to, to their lives, man, there is there it's hard to see very many comparisons in in our, our styles of lives and the and the freedoms that we have. I mean again these people were enslaved like real slavery not not you know some sort of like symbolic slavery these people were really in slavery and yet you and I are having really difficult really hard moments and yet in the midst of living in America. I can't tell you how many times when I was sitting in Africa thinking about the miles and miles and miles that many of these people had walked to come hear this white man preach in their village. Many of them barefooted. Many of them scarcely having enough to eat or to drink, and they—they they essentially or symbolically they—they—they they, they fight lions and tigers and bears to get to worship on a Sunday morning because they believe that the preaching of the word and the Bible is the word of life, and yet. You and I are, are struggling. I don't know that I can make it. I saw a leaf fall. Seasons changing. I've had this, I've had this, I've got this, I've got this, this priority, this priority. I know it MC's tonight. Mm, I'm tired. Guess what everybody else is? Tired. They're tired, too. Evangelism. I'm not a professional preacher. That's for Eric and Justin and really weird people who have tracks. I'm not going to be a missionary. God would never call me to be a missionary. We have all of these excuses, and, and yet that's not to dampen your real pain, your real sorrow, all these sorts of things. But, but man, it, it, is, it is tough when we we're wrestling through this and then we're talking about all that these people were enduring. And even the followers of Jesus and the early followers of Jesus, what they're experiencing as they are willing to give their lives for the very Bible that you and I have a plethora of them at our house and on our devices right now. And yet, you and I experience real hurt. It's our hurt. And it may be different than each other's hurt. But it's, it's real hurt. It's real frustration. It's real disappointment. It's, it's real anger. It's, it's all of these things. You ever been so hurt that it that it's hard for you to hear anything? Oh Have you ever been so disappointed with God, so angry, so in your pain, so in your suffering. It really doesn't matter what your friends or family say. It really doesn't matter. You know the Bible verses. Most of them taking out of context and slapped on some coffee mug somewhere. I know I have the plans for you. Plans to prosper you. So on and so forth. Jeremiah, right? Did you know that's not for you? Be still know I'm God, but we don't read the passages around it. so hurt that we can't hear. See, you and I, we, we often can be so consumed in our current circumstances that we become blind to everything else. We, we become essentially a slave to our enslavement. Charles Spurgeon once uh, said this. Can you guys help me out? Thank you. Button. There we go. Some cannot receive Christ because they are full of anguish and are so crushed in spirit that they, that why cannot, excuse me, so crushed in spirit that why can they not find strength enough to mind, to entertain a hope that by any possibility salvation can come to them. The mere struggle to exist exhausted at their all their energy and destroyed all their hope i do not wonder that a great many are unable to receive the gospel in this city of ours because their struggle for existence is awful i'm afraid that it gets more and more intense though even now it passes all bounds if any of you can do anything to help the toil worn workers i pray you do it and yet, dear friend, if such one has come in here tonight, pray you do not throw away the next world because you have so little of this. This is the sheer folly. If I have little here, I would make sure of the more hereafter. And have you ever been so full of anguish? Have you been so... Can you go back, please? Can you go back to the slide? of reading it. <laughs> there we go. Yes. Alright. So much anguish. That you're in such pain and in such sorrow that, that you can't even entertain that the gospel may be for you. There's lots of talk within Christianity right now about social justice issues and what is the church's role. And, and I don't know exactly where all of I land, so please don't, don't tweet me on this today. Don't run out here saying all sorts of things about your pastor. Because here's the deal. Giving someone a cup of water does not save them. And churches will spend thousands of dollars just a marketing campaign to... I spent an entire week in New York City serving another church. And you know what I did? I, I was... I false bill here. I passed out granola bars and on those granola bars it had an invitation for people to come to church. So this is all I did for six days was pass out granola bars. All right? That's not a mission trip. It's giving people granola bars. Okay? But here is what I do know. I know that there are, are people within our community and within our city that are really hungry, like really hungry. Like there are our students, there are kids, there are families. That, that are starving, and I know it's hard to believe, right here in America and throughout the world that are, are completely starving. They're starving to death. And I can only imagine to, to the extent of what Spurgeon is saying here, is that man, it can be really hard for the person down the road, the person that is in real trauma, real pain, real sorrow, real anguish, to hear the gospel with their bellies aching. And so somehow within the church, there, there has to be a, a both and instead of an either or. That's one of the reasons why I love Hope House is that they their, their mission is to you know oh, to alleviate spiritual and physical poverty through gospel restoration. That means this. If you come to get help, you're going to meet a man like Alan Bullard. And while they're helping you, Alan is going to share the gospel. And then Hope House is going to look at your situation and say, okay, we're going to share the gospel with these people. And yet simultaneously, if our organization can help them, we're going to help them. It's a both and, not an either or. Because again, The worst thing that you and I can do when someone is really, really hurting. Let's say that their their child, we just had a child be lost here in our city of a tragic accident this last week. Imagine going into that hospital room and looking at those parents with a smile on their face and saying this. We know God works all things to the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Don't you feel better? are really hurting is that a true verse absolutely it's true is it beneficial and helpful in that moment no no it's not that ministry of presence it's not about you having to saying the right thing or the, the magic bibbity bobbity boo over whatever person is going through, but, but rather it's this ministry of presence. And what does God remind Moses? Yes, he says, I am God. He makes all these promises, but he essentially is, is solidifying the fact that God is going to be with you. He's going to be there. His ministry of presence to you has not gone anywhere no matter how dark your night has become. The Israelites, they struggle to listen to Moses because of their current circumstances. They're hurt. It's legit. They're slaves. They're slaves. You know, things can get so dark for us that, that it's hard to believe that God is actually a God of His Word. Can I say something really tough? And if if you guys... Heck, fire me. There's a church down the road that needs somebody. Sometimes it's really hard to believe God. Where well, you're in... That dark of a place. It's really hard to believe. I know, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Right? You know, God doesn't give people more than they can handle, which isn't in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves, not in the Bible. You just need to work a little harder. You just need to pray a little more. If you'd have given five more seconds in your prayer, breakthrough. We'll, we'll, we'll gather in worship gatherings, man, if we just. If we just say one more song, if we just have this happen, this happen, man, if she would have just done this, if he would have just, you know, if we'd have sang the chorus one more time, then God would have actually showed up in that that moment, right? I mean, it's like you just you know that kind of cynical. Am I the only one? I mean, you're really going through it. I'm not talking about you burnt your Pop Tart pop the better cold anyway. I'm talking about real hurt, real pain, real sorrow. And you know all the Jesus stuff. And yet, what, what does the Bible tell us here and how they responded? Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. It can be hard when you're that broken, right? I remember in a pastoral situation one time, this is a really, really difficult situation that I was helping to pastor in. And at first, I was just trying to get all the, the stuff together. I'm, I'm sitting down with this person. They're, they've had a really, really bad hurt. And uh, uh, immediately, I I, I went into Mr. Fix-It. Well, you need to do this, 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 this. And if you do this, this will all get much better for you. Was there any truth in what I was sharing with this individual? Absolutely there was. The thing is, is no matter how much I tried to fix this person's hurt for them, they were so hurt that they could not hear anything that I was saying to them. They could not hear it. It wasn't until prayer and meditation and, and talking with other pastors and these sorts of things that it just came to the realization of what this person needs, because I don't know that they're going to listen to me anyway. They haven't been. So this isn't working. And I just felt the conviction of the Lord in that moment because I've blown it with this person over and over and over again. Let's just say this, they just need you to be there. They need you to be available. There may come a time down the road where you can speak some of these gospel truths in their lives. But right now, because of their slavery, they're so hurt. They cannot hear you. When we skip to the New Testament, the, the New Testament is many glorious things. But it's also a public record of how disappointed early followers were of Jesus. The early followers of Jesus were disappointed with him over and over and over and over and over, and over again. Everybody from his mama to his closest of friends were disappointed with Jesus. Hey, hey Jesus, we need to make you need to you know, make some more wine here. Right. John, first miracle of Jesus. What did Jesus say to his mama? Woman. But I bet he said it like, excuse me, woman. My time has not yet come. What about when the the lady comes to to wash the feet of Jesus and she takes the alabaster rocks and she breaks it over his feet and it, it pours this just expensive nard all over Jesus and and what did the disciples say is like man that's a huge waste of of all of that that perfume we could have we could have sold it and gave it to the poor. How about the. The people in the crowd that Jesus didn't heal. Jesus would sometimes walk into a city and be like, healed, 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 healed. Sometimes he would walk into a city, see a bunch of sick people and be like, yes. What about the woman with the issue of blood? All of these sick people are crowded around Jesus. They're all needing to be healed. The woman with the issue of blood touched Jesus and he stops and he says, Who's touched me? My power has left from me. How about all the other kids whom Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead? You guys remember the story, right? It's a Roman centurion, right? A pagan. Comes to Jesus. My daughter. She's ill, she's sick. I'll go back. She's she's good. Other times he would go, right? She's just a and we celebrate for those people. But there's a place in a time where you are so hurt and so broken that it's hard for you to celebrate the healing when your child is the one that isn't resurrected. When your child can walk. When your child isn't the one that's sick. Or when, you're true. when your child is, or... Mother's Day is really hard for people. It's it's this glorious day if you've got a good mama. If you've lost your mama, though, you struggle on that day. Father's Day, if you had a good daddy, man, Father's Day is a great blessing. If you had a terrible daddy, or if you have a, a dad that has passed on, man, that's a tough day for you. Everybody get this tension? People were so disappointed with Jesus that, that, that it led to them being angry with him. To even to the point of death, the Pharisees are constantly upset with Jesus, angry at Jesus, disappointed with Jesus. Can't believe you've healed on this day. Can't believe you're spending time with this person. Can't believe that you've eaten with this person. Can't believe you've done this. Can't believe you've done that. Can't believe, can't believe, can't believe, can't believe. And they became so angry they killed him for it. They were so disappointed in God, in Jesus that they killed him for it. Judas, his, his his closest one of his closest of friends, ends up what betraying Jesus. Why? Because we believe in our expectation, Jesus the Messiah is coming to do blank. But this is our real experience, and it is at the crossroads of experience and your expectation where disappointment just festers. It festered for for Judas himself, and he ended up selling his friend for 30 pieces of silver. Judas preached the gospel, folks. Judas was a missionary. For all intents and purposes, God, and he's not a believer, ultimately. Because he couldn't accept the person whom Jesus was. Jesus is constantly seen weeping over other people's unbelief. And yet, what do we see inside of the New Testament? In the Old Testament, we see all of these promises made. In the New Testament, we see all these promises kept. Can we hit the next slide for me? In the Old Testament, God says, I will bring you out. In the New Testament, in Matthew, I just have the addresses here, but I'll tell you what that says. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 30, God says in the Old Testament, I will bring you out. Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. And God inside this passage says, I will deliver you. And yet in Hebrews 2.15, it says that Jesus delivers all those through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. God to Moses says, I will redeem you. Jesus says this or gave himself for us, to redeem us from the lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Titus 2.14. God will tell Moses, I will adopt you. In Galatians 4 chapter 4 through 7 says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and because you are sons God has sent the spirit of the son into your hearts crying Abba father so that you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son then an heir through God I will be your God the entire book of Revelation points to Jesus being what that God God says to Moses, I will take you to a new home or take you to a new land. In John chapter 14, verse three, Jesus declares, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house. Then he goes on to say in, in Exodus chapter six, I will give you a new home. And in first Peter. 1 4, speaking of Jesus, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you, I will give you an inheritance. This is our example. But this is also, brothers and sisters, our only hope. Jesus does not meet our expectations. But He has promised to one day to exceed Him. them. He doesn't always provide an explanation to your why, but He does provide Himself because Jesus and because of Jesus we we will never be forsaken the bible tells us our worst day our worst day is still a part of his perfect plan why because he is god because he is god I wish I had time to read it here this morning, but I don't. But in John chapter 6, there's the feeding of the 5,000, right? Jesus supplies a physical need. He begins to preach. He's preaching, preaching, preaching. He's calling people to repentance. Then he feeds the people. Then he kind of goes to the lake to kind of get away from the people, right? And then he comes back to the other side of the lake. And guess who's there? All of the people. And the Bible even says that, that they are disciples of Jesus, And as Jesus has just fed them bread and fish, Jesus changes his language here a little bit. And he starts saying things to the masses of people, right? Jesus is a successful preacher. Church success is based on the number of people there. Jesus has this huge following that is traveling after him, wanting from him. He now has it and you would expect at this moment that Jesus would preach an even greater sermon than the Sermon on the Mount and just millions of people would come to know him and they would take over the world. But what does Jesus do? What's his marketing plan? Hey, if you're really going to follow after me, you got to eat my body and drink my blood. That's what Jesus says. Anybody want to sign up for that? Um, we've been looking over the resume. Glad you're wanting to come work for us. But we have a few expectations. you got to be here on time. Maybe work some overtime. And by the way, you've got to eat our boss's body and drink his blood, right? The Bible tells us in John chapter 6, it says this, that the response of many of the disciples, not just the twelve, but many of the people were there, was they said this, this is hard to hear. Duh. This is hard to hear. But then listen to what the Bible says. In John chapter 6, it says that they respond, man, this is a really hard saying of you, Jesus. And then it says they leave. The disciples leave. He he did not meet their expectations. And so this mass gathering of followers of Jesus all are done with Jesus. And then the the twelve are still standing there and Jesus looks at them and he says, are you going to leave too? Anybody remember the response? One of the disciples, I think it was Peter, says, where else would we go for? For you hold the words of life. You are the life. Do we understand this? Absolutely not. But where else would we go? Where else could we go. And here, here's the responses to that truth and to this truth for all of us today. Brothers and sisters, friends, if you are gathering here in this place, you need to really consider what I'm about to say to you because here's the deal. You... Are either going to walk away from Jesus because of your doubts, because of your disappointment, because of your frustration, all those sorts of things. Or you can respond by continuing to walk with Jesus in the midst of all of those disappointments and despair. Some of you are going to leave this room today and there has been absolutely no Change because everything in sin, Satan, and death is warring against us this morning to question God's goodness, to question His holiness, to question His Word, and we are left with two responses. We can either walk away from Jesus today or in the midst of that same pain, that same chaos, walk with Jesus. Because here's the deal. Jesus is going to disappoint you. But He has never disappointed God. And that's the best news on the planet for you. Jesus is absolutely going to disappoint you. Time and time and time. Because you have a picture of Jesus that is not the Jesus of the Bible. You have a picture of God that is not the the God of the Bible. And you're going to walk away from Him because you just can't get all your questions answered. Or, as we've seen in Moses, and we're going to see time and time again, that, that Moses, he doesn't get it. But he keeps going and doing what God told him to do because there was something that was trumping. I love what John Kostler's Kostler's book that I shared with you guys last week, The Surprising Grace of Disappointment. He says this. We can hold on to disappointment or we can hold on to Jesus. I beg with you. That doesn't mean that your disappointment is going to go away. It just means you're going to cling to Jesus even tighter, even tighter. You're going to fight the drift toward doubt and and discouragement and all these sorts of things. Even in the midst of all of that chaos, we don't have any idea what the next 24 hours may lay upon this church and the members of it, and the people within it, we have no guarantees of what pain and sorrow may happen today or may not happen, and yet we can't have a guarantee that even in the midst of whatever these 24 hours bring to me, I will cling to Jesus more than I will cling to my disappointment. Must fight for that. Must fight for that. Clinging. To him. In spite of what we see. In spite of what we feel. In spite of what you are experiencing. You and I. Must fight. To trust in this Jesus. Why? Get this. Because. He has been faithful. In spite of what he sees in me. In spite of what he sees me doing, and in spite of what he should, how he should rightfully feel toward me, in spite of my disobedience, we brothers and sisters must learn to worship Jesus more, even if he doesn't meet our expectation, because it means that he has something even better for us. We must trust his promises. Brothers and sisters, let me leave you with this. We are all really upset. Eric Baker is really upset with God most of the time. We are upset for what we are not getting. And yet you and I must be reminded this more. This morning. That though we are upset for what we are not getting, we deserve so much worse. And we're going to get something that we do not deserve. I deserve hell. I deserve punishment. I deserve brokenness. I deserve everything in this life that this world has to offer. I deserve for it to be taken away. Because of who God is and who I am and yet in spite of all my frustration and anger and being upset with God the only one in the room who is rightful to feel that way is God toward us but because of his son Jesus I hold right now to a belief that because of Jesus God is never disappointed in you Can we grieve the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. But God the Father sees you through the finished perfect work of His Son. And and because of that, the only one who should be disappointed in the room is God. And yet He gives over and over and over and over. To his kids who look at their daddy and say, I hate you. If you love me, you would give me this. Let us cling tighter to Jesus this morning than we cling to our disappointment. Let's pray.